Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Ellen Pogamiller with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Catherine Bishop, president of OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. Well, this morning, Catherine, we are joined by a special guest. Um, Not only is this individual the Oklahoma 2021 Oklahoma Teacher of the Year, but she is also an OEA member. So welcome, Jessica. Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So I wanted just to start out with your teaching career. So tell us a little bit about what you've taught and, you know, where you are today. Yeah, so I've taught for my entire career in Norman Public Schools. I started teaching at Alcott Middle School as a seventh grade Eastern Hemisphere geography teacher. And I taught that for three years. Yes, I um, <laughs> they didn't have an English position open, and I wanted to work at Alcott. So I... I learned right along with the kids, <laughs> but it was the best. And I would go back and teach that tomorrow if if somebody let me. I, they probably wouldn't let me. <laughs> so seventh graders interested in Eastern Hemisphere? I can't even say. You can make them interested. <laughs> um, some things were never going to be a thrill, like lakes. That was a hard sell. But we did get to talk about, you know, things like Chernobyl. And wow. when you bring in... Stories like that, it's yeah. hard to not get them interested. Yeah. We always ended the year with a make your own country project, and that that hooked them oh, like really yeah. easily. So I taught that for three years, um, and I also taught eighth grade language arts there for two years. Then I moved on to Kennedy Elementary in Norman, where I was their teacher librarian for two years. And then right at the height of the pandemic, I switched over to being an innovative learning coach. I worked out of Norman North High School in Norman, but served um, three other elementary schools. And we worked on the rollout of a learning management system so that students could learn from afar. We didn't have one before that. So that was the bulk of the job. And I, I worked there for the year until I started my sabbatical. So were you, were you doing the learning management system before the pandemic started? No. Okay. So this was just kind of a we, natural. Yes. We left, you know, like everyone else yeah. in March of 2020. Yeah. And I think immediately the district realized we needed mm-hmm. a system like many colleges had and started, you know, it's a long process, bids and things like that. And once they settled on one, they needed people to not only be trained in using it, but then to train all of the teachers in Norman. Um, we had one system for elementary and one system for secondary. So I was part of that rollout team for the for Canvas for secondary. So classroom teacher, media specialist, instructional specialist. What what was your fave? What was your jam? I think the library will always hold my heart. Mm. I love teaching in the classroom with kids. I think it's great. Um, It's so much fun because you get to know them really well and they all have, especially in middle school, the personalities like make it so, so great every day. But to share that love of reading, I will never not enjoy reading a book to a kid or bringing them into the makerspace or teaching them how to podcast. That was something I got a grant for podcasting equipment in elementary school. And we started our own um, news program that we did the uh, Good Morning Kennedy that we did every day. So that was that was a blast. Um, But I don't think I'm done yet. I just finished my second master's and now I'm a certified elementary and secondary principal. Um, And that 
that doctorate sounding good. So we'll see where I end up. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Bless you. So now you're in in the midst of all of these, you know, opportunities, you now have the opportunity to serve as the Oklahoma, well, be selected first, what an honor, but also have the opportunity to serve in a capacity where you're representing teachers across the state. What has that experience been like? It's an overwhelming honor. I never expected to be selected. Um, It's kind of a story that my the people at SDE like to talk about the State Department because we were all supposed to have a big plan for where we were going to watch the ceremony because it was on Zoom. Yeah. And um, they asked us and I said, yes, I got Ben and Jerry's and I'm going to I'm I told my husband to leave the house and I'm going to be at home and I'm going to watch by myself and then I'm going to eat ice cream. I took the whole day off. (laughs) It was going to be a real self-care moment for me. And I guess that freaked them out because obviously they knew the results before I did. But um, it and they it were was, like, hey, how about? Oh, they <laughs> called the district directly. And then suddenly there was an event and I was just grumpy, um, <laughs> to be honest. But it, it's overwhelming in the fact that when you look at Oklahoma and you think about how many different school districts we have and how many teachers we have and how many varied needs there are mm-hmm. in our state because what a rural community needs is not Absolutely. what a suburban community or an urban community needs. Um, that's where it feels overwhelming because I want to make sure I'm doing right by those teachers. Mm-hmm. And I think in this role, the best thing that I can do is talk to them and ask them what they need and then mm-hmm. communicate that in any way that I can because I can't fix all of the problems. Nobody can, but to make sure that it's not just my voice being heard, that my voice truly represents the voices of teachers across the state and make sure that um, they're not, you know, their opportunity is not being missed. So I don't take it lightly. And it has been a learning experience because, again, I've been a Norman my whole career. Mm-hmm. So to get out and to learn about all of the things that our other communities, other school districts need in order to really serve every child in Oklahoma, it's a really humbling experience. But um it's been the best learning experience I think I'll ever have in my life. So if you, because you've, you've had this uniqueness to be able to travel the state and, and, and I get that opportunity too. And it is, it is a blessing to get to get outside of the metro area. Um, if you had to sum up and tell, tell Oklahomans how Oklahoma schools, how they're doing, what they're doing, what would you say? What they're doing are amazing things. There, there's no other way to put it. These teachers, every teacher that I've come in contact with knows what their students need within their classroom, within their school community. There's nobody who knows those kids better other than maybe their parents, but still they're, they're spending a lot of hours in those classrooms. Mm-hmm. And they are tailoring education to the needs of their students. And those needs have changed so significantly you know, since the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to adapt like that, it's remarkable. And that's what's happening in Oklahoma classrooms, like remarkable learning experiences for kids at every level and a lot of support for students to find their own ways to success. I love that in Oklahoma, we do not see one pathway to being a successful adult. We Teachers in Oklahoma have adopted and understand how important it is to let students' passion drive them and to find their interests, whether that be a trade or college or military service or going into the workforce or 
building internship programs so that students can experience different things and figure out what that's going to look like for them. I love that in Oklahoma, we embrace every kid's chance, every kid's potential to have such a great future, whatever that may look like, and that it's not one size fits all. Oh my gosh, Jessica, you just touched my heart yeah. so deeply. You that was you could not have summed that up better. Yeah. That was amazing. So what is there any school that stuck out with had in your travels? I'll tell you what's really been interesting in my travels. Yes, there have been amazing schools. I got to go to Caney Valley. That was so much fun because it was just so unlike Norman mm-hmm. and they were so welcoming and phenomenal. Um, but one thing I've gotten to do a lot of is talk to future teachers. Oh, and that that's what I love anyways. I've been involved. My job was part instructional coaching. Mm-hmm. I've mentored um, new teachers in Norman. I've had student teachers in my classrooms. And I'm part of an instructional coaching cohort uh, virtually with the State Department this year. And so going to different colleges across the state, all across the state, and getting to talk to these students who are maybe in their first year of their education program all the way through student teaching or, um, you know, in some cases, talking to them on their last day of student teaching. And there is nothing that's going to give you more hope for the future of education Mm -hmm. than talking to those student teachers and those future educators. They they don't want it sugarcoated. They know exactly what they're getting into. They have not buried their head in the sand. They know that there are challenges facing them when they get their own classroom and they're still there Mm -hmm. and they still want to do it. And they're still so excited to serve their kids. So I don't know that I would have had that opportunity in any other position, but to go Mm -hmm. out there and encourage them and thank them for following their heart and sticking with us in Oklahoma because we need them um, and our kids need them. That has been unbelievably rewarding. And I'm so excited to see some of them when they get their first classrooms and just like pave the way for the future. Those are who's going to be teaching my kids. It's so great. So tell us a little bit about the mentorship program at Norman. I mean, I know that's something for new teachers. You know, we lose teachers It's like you got to get them through that first five years. And so how did it work for you all? Well, I had it when I was a first year teacher. So my first experience with it was, you know, as a mentee. And what they did was pair me with a teacher at my site who was a veteran teacher. Mm -hmm. And we logged hours together. We had conversations. I was able to take time to go in and observe her classroom and observe the way that she held like dealt with classroom management and discipline and um, how she planned lessons. And I felt like I had somebody in my corner. And while I loved my administrators, it's different to have a teacher that you can go and talk to. And sometimes it takes a while to build that community on your own. Um, And so as soon as I was eligible, of course, it took me a few years to get that to that point where I could even mentor somebody else. I signed right up. Right. And every year we would get paired with somebody and we'd do that same thing. We had a log of hours that we would have together. Um, we'd talk about different issues, just meet before and after school, vent to be <laughs> a sounding board mm-hmm. for somebody without judgment because I had been there. Mm-hmm. I knew how challenging it was. And I think I know a lot of school districts do this. I think Norman has really made a huge impact on the number of teachers that want to stay at Norman because they do feel supported. And I believe that they are, there was talk about extending it um, because we know those first five years are important and that Mm -hmm. 
it, you, your struggles don't always go away after the first year. Yeah. And so making sure that teachers have continued support. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about the State Department program, because we are able to support teachers in districts that maybe those programs don't necessarily exist yet. Right. Um, and my hope is that across Oklahoma, we can, you know, recognize the need for in-school support for teachers and, you know, expand those options in every school district, not just the ones lucky enough to have a program like Norman does. So I know that was a new program they started this year with the virtual yep. coaching. How, how many, how many new teachers are a part of that? How much, what does that look like? It's all online okay. um, and really customized. So the the coaches have gone through monthly online trainings, not only with State Department experts, but also experts that they brought in. Mm -hmm. um, we've done a lot of studying of Jim Knight and his instructional coaching, which is a phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, he's the best. Um, and we've read a lot from him. So we do our training. And then on the uh, on our own, we meet with our mentees virtually via Zoom. We have a platform where we can upload videos and leave time comments so that we can it's, you know, the second best thing to actually being able to go into their classrooms yeah. and just, you know, fulfill their needs. One of my first year mentees is an amazing teacher. She is teaching in an elementary school in the metro area. And, you know, we go through everything from these kids aren't, you know, we're taking a long time to transition from center to center. Right. So we just talk about different ways that that could be solved, different techniques that I've used. And I try and give her as many options as possible, because again, what works in my classroom right. may not work for hers. Right. So lots of options, check back in and see how that, how that went and make sure that she knows she has me to lean on if she needs it. So this has been ongoing. It hasn't been like, okay, just we're going to meet once and good luck. No, we log hours every single month. Wow. Yes. Um, not so much to make it a burden on anybody because right. we know first year teachers need their mm -hmm. time to rest. And that is sacred. Mm -hmm. um, but enough that we are making regular contact to make sure that they are really feeling supported and happy in their roles. And I think first year teachers need a mentor that <clears throat> some would say give, it per give them permission or give them advice. You need to rest. But it's that permission, you need to rest. Yeah. Take time for yourself. And I didn't do a lot of that yeah, early in my career. <laughs> and I'm seeing more and more how much it's needed and how I need it for myself and my mm -hmm. mental health and well-being. And to be able to stay in our career path for a long time. Yeah. And I want them to do that too. I don't want them to go anywhere. So finding that balance, that's the number one question that new teachers ask me is how do you avoid burnout or how do you handle burnout? And mm -hmm. so, you know, it's on their minds. And I think that's great. The more you recognize it and mm -hmm. can take proactive steps, the less likely it's going to, you know, hit you hard and, and, make you feel like teaching can't be your sustainable career. Mm -hmm. I My daughter's a first-year teacher, and I have to sometimes do that. She says, Mom, I did not. I should have. I could have. I would have brought home all this stuff this weekend, but I didn't. And I said, good for you. You need to take time. And, and it's just that affirming, giving permission, and, and reaffirming them, it's okay. It'll be there when you get there Monday, I promise you. It's not, it's not going to grow legs and walk off, unfortunately, but it'll be there. Yeah, and it feels scary because when you come back on a Monday morning and that pile is waiting for you, <laughs> sometimes that's worse. Than, know, you know, I you know. just kind of turn around and walk oh, yeah. out. But I do think that if we can 
learn those techniques early enough in our career, it becomes more second nature yeah. rather than something we have to retrain ourselves for. Yeah. And that's important. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, for championing not just our teachers, but our schools and the work that they are doing to serve our kids. It's mm. been really incredible to talk to you today. Well, thank you for protecting teachers in Oklahoma. I'm a proud Penn member and a proud OEA member, and I have been since I got my first teaching job, and I, uh, I don't plan on changing that anytime soon. So thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks, Jessica. Well, we are joined this morning by one of our favorite guests, Ivy Riggs, to kind of give us another breakdown. Welcome, Ivy. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So this we was, haven't seen you in so long. I know it really has been like, a long time, like a week. Yeah. Yeah. We missed you. <laughs> I went to see my baby last week. Uh, he's perfect. Oh, just in case anyone needed yes. to know, he's perfect. Yeah. And I hear he loves the car. He doesn't. He doesn't <laughs> love his car seat, but he loves his Grams a lot. There you go. That's that's just get him out of there. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we're excited to have you back. So, committee deadline week. What did that look like? Right. So. Um, in the education realm, not super dramatic. We we saw full committees, but nothing wild and crazy. Um, uh, there were some different committees that that had some drama. Judiciary, there kind of became the standoff between the Senate and the House. Because nothing didn't hear, speaks drama like judiciary. Right. You didn't hear my <laughs> bills, so I refuse to hear your bills, but I'm going to spend this committee time griping about it. And so there was some drama there. Um, but in the education, um, we did see a bill that we uh, were very sad to see, and it did pass by one vote, and we will talk about I'd like to talk about that. But uh, overall, uh, the committee deadline came in when um like like normal nothing nothing wild in the education realm so what is the bill that we should know about so senate bill 1579 um is a is a bill that senator paxton ran through the senate and uh, representative kyle hilbert the pro tem uh, is running through the house and it is truly a, an another attack on on educators with a voice in my opinion it is uh saying that um so we have uh, six school districts in the state, seven school districts in the state that have full-time release leaders that are on a leave of absence to represent their members. Mm -hmm. It is a, 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 in my opinion, a mutually beneficial agreement between the local association and the local school district where uh, they are, um, the, the local members pay the salary mm -hmm. of that person. They, they assess themselves dues. Right. They, yeah. they assess themselves dues, um, pay the salary, fringe benefits, back to the district. So this isn't costing districts money. It's not costing the state money. This is a solution to a problem that does not exist. Um, the perk that they do still benefit from that, that this bill, bill would take away is allowing them to pay into teacher retirement while they're on this leave of absence and allowing them to uh, advance in years of service. So if they have taught seven years when they go on this leave of absence, um, they wouldn't be able to to gain years of service um, yeah. during this time. So listening to the debate and, um, and hearing both in the Senate and then the House Ed Committee, it, it, there's sometimes this impression that uh, the, the full-time release leaders, like maybe somebody they hired from outside, these are teachers or support professionals that have been elected by their members to serve in that capacity. Right. They these, are, they are employees of the district, district employees, right? Yeah. right. That are that are helping the district as much as they're helping yeah. our members. I was yeah. a I was my local president in Mustang for yeah. eight years. And 
I can tell you with full confidence, my superintendent called me more often than I called her for us to work problems out together. Mm -hmm. If there was a and not a literal fire, but if there was a something that was brewing in a building, mm-hmm. she would call me to say, "Hey, this principal's calling. This, you know, this mm-hmm. kind of rumblings are happening. Would you go over to this building and see what you can do about it and get back with me? What can we do together?" Absolutely, I will. Right. And then sometimes I would call her to say, "Hey, this one building principal came out of principal's meeting with a little different message. Mm-hmm. Could you maybe revisit that?" Absolutely, I will. It was a mutually beneficial agreement. I was not a full-time release. I was not on a on a leave of absence. I was still full-time in the classroom, but that doesn't mean it wasn't a, a great relationship. So um, I feel like if, if they were no longer good relationships, the district would quit granting these leaves. Mm-hmm. There's just no reason for this law. Uh, other entities do this, fire uh, union, fire worker, uh, fire Per people, fire, 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 fire persons, firefighters, <laughs> uh, they do this, uh, police officers do this, and no one is trying to take that away. And yeah. we've always had local bargaining agreements across our state with Correct. educators right. defining what is a meaningful, you know, bargain for each partner. And right. so, you know, when you talk about this, while it only affects a small number of schools, do you see any like slippery slope to this? I absolutely do. Even if you're in a district where I was in Mustang, we didn't have a, a person on leave of absence. But if they're going to overreach and tell a district what they can do about this, what's the next step? Right. What else are they going to Can't try bargain to bargain a salary schedule? Right. What, what if they say you have to limit how many personal days? You can't yeah. give emergency leave. You can't let people come to the Capitol. I mean, in my opinion, they're trying to quiet anyone with a voice mm-hmm. to be engaged in this legislative process. And that's an incredibly slippery slope, in my opinion. Absolutely. So one of the weird things that always happens in session is you'll randomly hear about a bill that you no longer thought was in play anymore. And all of a sudden you get wind <laughs> that it's reemerged. So how, do, how does that happen? Do you guys have like alerts on your phone? Does it wake you up in the middle of the night? Usually we'll get a phone call. It's oh, pretty okay. typical. Uh, we do have alerts on our phone for for bills that we have set those alerts okay. on. So so high priority bills, whether they're good or bad. So we'll get an alert that says it's uh, got new language. Uh, uh, it's been put on a committee agenda or whatever. But what we got last Monday, as I started getting phone calls from both mm-hmm. legislators and our coalition partners that were hearing that our payroll deduction bill from last year was starting to gain traction. So Senate Bill 634 that would have said we could not payroll deduct our dues um, was starting to be resurrected. Uh, You know, we're in the second year of a two-year session, so that is well within the rules for this to happen. It is it is problematic in, in many ways, but one of them is it made it most of the way through the process. Yeah. It made it through Senate committee and Senate floor and House committee. And so now the only step left would be the House floor. And it just would have to be put on an agenda, wait 24 hours, and it could be heard. And so uh, we will uh, begin to talk to our members about this bill just in case. We will start to talk to legislators about it. We've started talking to those in leadership, and, and conversations are starting to happen. Um, there again, this slippery slope of um, an agreement at the local level that allows us to payroll deduct our dues. We can payroll deduct the Oklahoma Magazine. Mm-hmm. We can payroll deduct credit union savings accounts, car payments, 
Um, every other entity can payroll deduct. Other fringe benefits we have. Professional associations yeah. dues, and they're only targeting educators. And so what are we to think when they continue to target educators that are trying to have a voice? Mm-hmm. So uh, we do think it's overreach. Uh, we do think it's, uh, you know, we are an opt-in association. It has never been required to be a member of this association. Even for before Right Long to Work. Long before Right to Work. <laughs> so at, obviously since Right to Work. Uh, this is uh, not a problem, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an all-out attack on educators. Mm-hmm. And so we haven't heard a lot of um, wrestling about it, but enough to make us, we need to remind our members mm-hmm. that, that it is yet again being talked about. Um, the governor wants this. If you'll remember the state of the state, two of his, what, four main talking points Mm -hmm. were about uh, this issue, opt-in instead of opt-out for professional association dues for educators only, Mm -hmm. I remind you, and vouchers. And vouchers Mm -hmm. didn't pass. And so um, he is asking for this to be a priority. Leads so many thoughts in my head. So many. I know. Where to go from here? But I think you. It, this bill absolutely illustrates how how our two year session, kind of what we call it, two year session, how a bill that could be making its way through the process and it's kind of in, it's dormant and it can just like pop back up. Kind of the kind of hibernating that can be yeah. woken up at any moment. Mm. Yes. So the last thing that kind of is still, we have a couple of hours left, but filing for legislators, yeah. uh, federal office, state office. There's a lot of judges. I don't know if you've uh, looked yes, at the filing, lots. there are a lot of judges out Big, there. big <laughs> week for, for the legislative process and for, um, you know, who's going to have an opponent, who's not going to have an opponent, who's going to have multiple opponents, uh-huh. who's going to have a primary, who will only have a general. Who's going to have a runoff. <laughs> yeah. There are... Um, that's a big deal. Um, I can only imagine that does um, stay in your head if you are an incumbent legislator. I can only imagine that uh, whether you're going to have an opponent, what type of opponent will that be? Will it be further mm-hmm. to the right, further to the left? Who's going to be challenging your votes? I can only guess that that colors how you think about how you vote. Yeah, up to this. I always say it's great to have multiple people part of the election and to have multiple people on the ballot until it's your race. Sure. And, then, <laughs> and then it's very uncomfortable, right? You're like, really? I know. It, it's really, I mean, it's fun because it happens at the state capitol, you know, basement yeah. floor. And so everybody is there together, you know? So you're the looking, governor. The governor. You're looking at the audience and you're just like, blown away by like this conglomeration of people and that this is the seen. first time in two years yeah that they had filing in person it, it was a drive-through for several right, right. they just like but, toss them their packet but throughout the week it's been really interesting to see the pictures and a couple of them in person you had the governor and one of his democratic challengers <laughs> in line side by side you had uh sitting congresswoman stephanie bice uh with with a challenger you know just um Faces we don't see in the Capitol mm-hmm. every yeah. day. Yeah. And so it has been very interesting. Yeah. And and there have been um, last-minute announcements of incumbents not running. Not running. I, that uh, has been quite the most amazing. So keep your eye on our social media this weekend. We're going to try to kind of give you a summarization of um, those that have uh, announced not running, uh, open seats, uh Multiple challengers, some some things like yeah, I that. I think it's always fun too. After they file, is then the challenges that happen. Mm-hmm. 
you know. Yeah. Do you actually live in the live district? In that area. <laughs> There's always those. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us, Ivy. We'd absolutely. Great to have you back. Thanks for having me. Well, let's just take some time and catch up with Catherine. Oh, my goodness, Ellen. We rolled in late last night, right? Super late. Our last civication back at home dinner with with legislators we had last night in Idabel, Oklahoma. It was amazing. It, it's just every time I am filled with this joy of, you know, different people from across the state who believe in the work that we are doing yeah. and want to be engaged in yeah. that. And that gives me, you know, power. It, what amazes me is everybody is so busy in their daily schedule. And just to take the time, come sit down, have dinner, have conversation. You know, it. these have been so incredible. And, 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 and everyone, I think I've had to say, thank you for hanging with us because that, this dinner was originally scheduled like in January. Yes. And then we had to, here we are April, but we got it yeah. and we got it on the calendar. And it, that is probably one of the the things that I love the most is being able to um, get to those locations and meet people where they're at mm-hmm. and just be able to sit down and have conversation and listen. So that was great. So we only have two civication at the Capitol left. We have this next week. And then the following week. So our last um, registration is still open for April 26th, but it is filling up fast. Yeah. And I would just say that is kind of technically the last week that right. we hear, I mean, kind of here yeah. it fills. So if you have not had the opportunity, come see us on the 26th. Yeah. We want to, we want to host you. Yes. We want to, uh, I, you know, last week we had um, some first time members that for, when I say first time that have come to the Capitol mm-hmm. for the first time. And it was so exciting. I got texts from them and it was just like, this was an amazing experience. And that's, you know, I think, I really truly think that the legislators thought, well, you know, we kind of missed them for two years during COVID, but we're back. Yep. And, 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 and just to see all parts of our states being represented and um, people coming in and being able to be over there at the Capitol and, and telling their stories, mm-hmm. which has been so great. And then uh, coming up this next weekend on Saturday, April the 23rd. Um, is our first annual ESP conference, our Education Support Professionals Conference. And uh, Day of Learning from 10 to 2, we're going to, it's free. Awesome. We, we want all of our ESPs to come and join us in just a day of uh, how we can come together and help you as local uh, members and leaders um, because you have a unique position and responsibility and we want something special just for you. And then, oh my gosh, I'm getting so excited. Uh, we're Delegate Assembly, May 6th and 7th at the Hilton Garden Inn in Edmond, Oklahoma. Um, we have not ha- been able to have an in-person Delegate Assembly in two years. And uh, I, get, I just kind of get all choked up thinking about it because it, it is a time, Ellen, where um, our members are elected to be delegates to come and take action on behalf of their members. And it shows that we are truly a member-driven organization. We vote on a budget, uh, legislative goals, our resolutions. We have new business items that are brought, actions that need to be taken. And it is a time that we come together and truly make the, the decisions 
for our association, by our members, for our members. And so um, tomorrow, well, no, not tomorrow. <laughs> I lost track of days. I still think I'm in Ida Bell. It's Thursday night. I'm not uh, on Friday, today, Friday. You will start getting, if you're a delegate to Delegate Assembly, you're going to start getting weekly emails. Um, and so you're going to get an email today. And one of the things in the email today is a video uh, where we recorded the delegate assembly training. We we still have locals and zones that do in-person delegate training, which we love. Um, but we also want wanted to record a, a full scope of the training to give to our members so they have a, a deeper understanding. Everybody should already have their delegate assembly handbook. And so that is going to be there for you. And uh, we look forward to seeing um, everyone uh, be here May 6th and 7th. I know if you're a local leader and you're listening and you haven't got your credentials in, not to worry, get them in. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have any questions, contact Rita Kennedy at OEA. So um, I, uh, I have... Uh, already put my outline for my speech together. And so I'm working through that process, but we are excited to come together for and this. This is my first in-person day. I was going to say, have you got to be So, oh. I mean, I, it's one of those things that I hear about from members yeah. all the time. Yeah. Of like, you know, this is something so ingrained to them yeah. as being one of the most powerful things we yeah. do as an association. And so I am really looking forward to yeah. it. Well, you know, we're wrapping up the weekend and, and however you celebrate this holiday season, we wish you the best. And- uh, absolutely. And, and thank you to Jessica and Ivy for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Ellen Pogamiller with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Catherine Bishop, president of OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us, Podcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education.